Boston Sports Syndicate. Hey everyone and welcome to the Boston Sports Syndicate's Red Sox podcast to be named later. This is the Syndicate's podcast dedicated solely to the Boston Red Sox and Major League Baseball. I'm Bill Travers. Thank you for joining us. As we record this podcast, the Red Sox have slipped to second place, a half game behind the hard-charging Tampa Bay Rays, winners of 11 in a row. And don't forget the Yankees. They now just sit a half game behind the Red Sox in third place. So with Memorial Day weekend fast approaching, it is certainly shaping up to be quite the dogfight in the AL East this summer. And we are here to talk about all of it. And by we, of course, joining me as always here on the Red Sox podcast to be named later is the great Blogino himself, Chris Henrik. Chris, how's it going? What's up, guys? How are we doing tonight? So far, so good. And, of course, joining Chris and me, Mr. Positivity himself, Matty Kiwum. Matt, how's it going? It's going good. Very excited to talk some Red Sox tonight, boys. All right, so let's do that. So, guys, the Red Sox are coming off a 4-2 and two road trip, taking two out of three from the Blue Jays in Dunedin and two out of three from the Phillies over the weekend, and yet they have slipped out of first place. So let's just start out. What are your thoughts overall on how things are shaping up? Let's start with Mr. Positivity himself. Well, I mean, I, I can't complain. The Red Sox have been great out of you the game. You never complain. I, you know, I complain about some things. I mean, if you listen to the last Celtics pod, you 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 heard a pretty darker side of me. There's no doubt about it. But the Sox, you know, have they kind of tapered off a little bit? Of course, they were playing so incredibly good. I think they were on a 118-game win pace. Like, there's no way they were going to sustain it. They're still in the competitive, you know, for the AL East. They haven't really fallen off a cliff by any means. The other teams are just surging. I think uh, before we recorded, you said the Rays are 11 in a row, right? 11 wins in a row, yep. You know, and the Red Sox had their run early. The, you know, the, the baseball season's a game of runs, and unfortunately right now it's just not the Red Sox surge. But I think that the way they're playing, there could be another one around the corner. Chris, what are your thoughts? I mean, it's disappointing, you know, because the Sox have been in first place the last couple of weeks. But, I mean, Tampa Bay's just playing out of their mind. 11, 11 straight games. Even even New York, too, they're 8-10 their last 10 games, you know, so it's – it's going to be a dogfight for the division. And I think that if anyone thought that the Sox were just going to run away with it, um, you know, they were wrong. I mean, Tampa Bay was going to be in the thick of it for the, we knew that was eventually going to happen. New York is <clears throat> finally starting to play a little more to what everybody thought that they were going to be. So, I mean, I'm not surprised these teams are, are playing as well as they are. Um, it's, we're going to really get to see exactly what this Red Sox team is made out to be especially with the month of June coming up because it isn't going to get any easier. So um, I'm, I'm kind of thankful they had that nine-game winning streak at the beginning of the season to kind of put them in this position where they're still in the thick of it. But, um, man, it's, it's wild. I mean, Tampa Bay, just it's plug and play with that team. It doesn't matter who they have. It, that team just goes off. It's it's wild. You know, you guys both said it was a little disappointing. The Red Sox have won seven out of their last ten, which is 700 ball. I mean, how much more can we really expect? It's just those other two teams just are a little bit harder than they are right now. Yeah, you can't knock the Sox. I mean, they're they're still winning. And like you said, they're in a 700, uh, 700 clip at last 10, which is great. It's just 
this we we knew that this AL East was going to be competitive. We knew that there were going to be up to four teams battling it out. And even, you know, the fact that the the Orioles, yeah, they're in last place, but they're still pesky. It's just complete madness and we're not even in, we're not even a quarter of the way through the season just quite yet. So I mentioned the Red Sox just coming off a 4 and 2 road trip. Um, they're continuing that trend of playing better on the road than they are at home. Their their splits are ridiculous this year. They're only 13 and 12 at home and they're 16 and 7 on the road. Now some of that is they played quite a bit in Baltimore. I think they are 7 and 0 in Baltimore this year or 6 and 0 in Baltimore. Um, but I, I just I think we talked about this a little bit the last time we got together. Do you guys have any idea what is going on with this team as far as their record at Fenway? Why are they just barely over 500? And this isn't just this year. This is a trend that goes back to 2019. Any thoughts on what's going on there? I don't know what to make of it because when I look at the individual stats, you know, J.D., Devers, Bogarts, Verdugo, they're all batting extremely well at home. All of them have a WRC plus over 100. The pitching, it's not really a drastic difference either. So I don't know where it comes from. Is it just like that human element of sports where sometimes things happen like they did lose those three games out of the gate at home? I don't know. Nothing in the statistics tell me that this is a trend that's going to continue flip-flop. I have no idea. Yeah, I, I don't know. I, it's it's hard to to understand exactly, you know. Um, last year you can kind of understand because of the way the season was structured. You know, home away really didn't matter. There was no fans. There was, you know, in attendance. It just, I don't know, it's weird. I, I, I don't really have anything that I can kind of pinpoint to as to really why. I mean, there's obviously been a turnover in players on the roster. So, you know, you got players that aren't used to playing at Fenway. I I, I don't know. I, I really have no answers to as to why this team doesn't play well at home right now. I mean, the one thing that I, I can see here when I'm looking at it is they've given up almost 20, actually more than that. They've given 22 more doubles at home than they have on the road. I don't know if that's just leading to, you know, the merry-go-round. You know, you put the quarter in and it keeps going. Some sort of effect like that because – they actually have given up 30 more runs at home, too. So it does seem like that when they come, they come in bunches in Fenway. And it's not always for the Red Sox, which kind of sucks. I'm wondering if it's got something to do with just the way the pitching staff is constituted and the, and the way the game is played right now with the emphasis on launch angle and hitting the ball in the air. That that type of approach, you know, it would seem to, you know, Fenway would seem to suit that approach. It's not a big ballpark. Um, it, it's, it's like the hitter's. It just seems like they the, the opposing hitters seem to adapt very well to the ballpark. And and for some reason, you know, the Red Sox pitching just hasn't adapted to that approach. At least that's the impression that I get. An article actually just came out. I think it's on Fangrass. I'm trying to look it up really quick. That actually broke into the data about, you know, the difference of the baseball. Everyone knows that the baseball has been doctored to, to limit home runs, even though – you know, exit velos, all that's kind of pretty much the same as it was over the last couple of years. Uh, so I, I don't know if I'm going to be able to find it, so I'll just kind of wing it. But it, basically what it said was Fenway, because of the high fence and left, was playing to the advantage of the uh, uh, with the new use of the balls. Now, we're not seeing that in comparison to when they're on the road. We just talked about it. But it was an interesting article just kind of talking about, 
you know, the new ball and the new approach and how Fenway's made it tough to hit it over the left field. But I don't know. And then you see Bogarts hitting it onto the mass bike. I don't know. Sometimes the, 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 the analytics doesn't pan out the way it's, it's depicted, I guess. But it's just interesting. Yeah, you think it would balance out for both teams, too. Right. You you think you see it now. I, like I said, all uh, the, the big marquee core guys are batting well at Fenway. They're crushing it. But it doesn't – It's I, I don't know. I, think, I guess they're getting out-crushed more than I had really thought. You know, but that's what the evidence, that's what the, the stats shows. So it's, it's like, like you said, Bill, maybe the pitching staff isn't really working to the advantage of the ballpark or trying to use that as an advantage. Maybe they could, you know, pitch a different way, have a different little skill set, a little pitch mix that kind of takes away from pulling the ball as much. I'm, I'm not so sure. Well, whatever it is, the Red Sox certainly have to turn it around because at home is where you've got to make hay. You know, if oh, if you sure. if you're gonna be overall a 600 team, you should be a little better than 600 at home, because generally you're about 500 on the road. If you if you can go 500 on the road, 650 at home, that's gonna be a successful season. They've got that flip flop right now. Actually, even 16 and seven, what is that? 750 on the road. The, that's they've been crazy on the road. That's a trend that certainly has to turn around. I will say though, given you know, if I would much rather at this point in time have them have a worser, worse off. How would I say that? I'm always asking you guys how to say stuff. It's like I don't know. Less Either good. Way, less good. If they, I'm glad to see that their road split is better than their home split because I do feel like if it regresses it to the mean, now we're talking about already them. The Sox have already taken out a chunk of the road games and done well with that. So if it kind of goes back to the you know pre 2019 levels. I think it could bode well for them over the season. So let's talk about the, the – oh, go ahead, Chris. No, I was just kind of thinking about what you had said in regards to the pitching staff, and that was kind of where, while you guys were talking, my mind was starting to go, and then you had made the comment. I think it's another good point. The Red Sox pitching staff, up until the surprise we're kind of seeing with some of these guys this year, has – changed dramatically over the last couple of seasons and then to your point that launch angle play plays better for teams and even the Sox coming into Fenway because you see the Sox they're they're mashing at home opposing teams are also equally doing the same thing Sox pitching is is changed in the last couple of years from what we've been accustomed to so that might be a big part of it um but to your point they have to be able to kind of make up some of this ground at home. And, and again, we're going to go over the schedule as we get into for the month of June. It's gonna, it's going to get harder. So hopefully, the first two months they can kind of work out some of those, you know, woes and, and really kind of turn it on. And the uh, when the weather gets even better and this team is starting to get reinforcements like Chris Sale potentially back on the way, and um, do I dare say Ryan Brazier and stuff like that. So. Yeah, I would say maybe it's the pitching. I would say the pitching is probably where the focus should go to as to why this team might be struggling at home. Yeah, and you mentioned the weather, too, and early in the season. They started early this year at home as as opposed to usually they'll be on the road for the first week, week and a half of the season. This year they opened up at home for the first week or week and a half, and you saw a lot of balls that just died on the warning track, hard-hit balls that you figured were out, and they just died. Maybe that played into a little bit, too, for them to get off to such a slow start at home. 
to start this season. Now with the weather warming up, you can certainly see the ball is jumping out of the park. No question. All right, let's, I just want to take a quick look back at this past week. Uh, so the, they opened up the first three games with the Blue Jays down in Dunedin. Those poor Blue Jays. They're like nomads right now. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that I think they're done in Dunedin now. They're going to move up to Buffalo for the rest of the season, right? If they can, and you know, it's I, I I thought the whole time they were in Upper State New York. I thought they were like, too. I, I'm not familiar with Dunedin, so when I heard Dunedin, I didn't know that was in Florida. I thought it was in you know up, Upstate New York. Yeah, it's a spring training facility. Uh, right, that would have been an easy assumption to make, but I don't know. I just instantly put them up in the Buffalo area. Well, they will be now. They're they're done. They're done in Dunedin. <laughs> dun dun dun. So the Red Sox went down there, and the, at the time, the Blue Jays were nipping at their heels for first place, and they spanked the Red Sox pretty good in the first game down there. But you gotta like the way the Red Sox responded in game two. I think they jumped out to a five nothing lead in the first inning, and and just reasserted themselves at the top of the race. To me, that's a a great sign for this team, uh, for what what we can expect for the rest of the season. And then in the third game uh, against Toronto, they were down, uh, I think they were down by two going into the ninth inning, and they rallied to score three to take the lead with J.D. Martinez hitting a two-run homer with two outs to take the lead. That, to me, shows what this team is as opposed to the last two seasons. This team, I don't think you can ever count them out, and that's the type of thing we saw. I don't, I, I know we said close the effing book or burn the effing book, but it's similar to what we saw in 2018 from this team, that ability to come back and rally and never be out of games. Yeah, I completely agree with what you just said, and I think that that pocket, uh, you know, their last handful of games, including those Toronto games, kind of shows why I'm – confident that they'll hold their own in June. Uh, it's going to be a lot tougher, no question. But they just seem a little bit more battle-tested than they have over the last two years. And, you know, I think it just comes off the players like Verdugo and Kike Hernandez. You know, the I like the bang comment. He knew that was going to reverberate, and that would be like almost like a chant, like the idiots were or, you know, other things like do your job in football. You know, he's already come out and kind of got this thing rolling. These leaders that they brought in, these whether it's their best player or not, what they're doing for this clubhouse is it's tremendous, and, and I'm excited to see it. And I think that the vibe that they set so far out of the gate is exactly what you want to see if if you wanted them to win. Bring me up to speed on this bang comment. I'm not aware of that. Uh, it was uh, I can't pinpoint the game. Chris, help me out here. But he had he was asked after the game. It was you know one of those Zoom meetings, uh, and he said you know I like the bang. And it was all over Twitter. It was getting picked up by, you know, all kind of like the tastemakers in the baseball and sports world. And they were, you know, throwing it out there just like, you know, like I said, the idiots or, or, or any, you know, any of the, the beard rallying cry of 2013. You know, it was just like it just seemed like already that these guys are starting to get a little bit of that magic that, you know, you want to contending teams to have as early as possible. That swagger. Yeah, Bill, he came. Exactly. Yeah, he, uh, Kike came off of the – the IL and he hit a home run. So in the post game, he said, I like bangs. I like to bang. Um, and then, you know, to Matt's point, it just, you know, people ran with it. So, but yeah, I mean, that's, that's the sort of stuff that's going to resonate with this team. It's, it's that, you know, 
quirky, you know, random little catchphrases and stuff like that that kind of shows you the makeup of the clubhouse, kind of gives you the mindset and the mind frame of what the, where this team is at. So, um, you know, it's I've always liked Kike. I thought he was I thought it was a great pickup. I was excited when they got him. I just, you know, he brings that energy, that fire, that it just he's kind of like Verdugo a little bit, but with I think a little more of an outgoing personality. So, um, yeah, I mean, he's looked good since he's come back. So these guys certainly seem to like to play with each other, and they seem to pull for each other. You, you saw when Dahlbeck was str- struggling. And then he started getting a couple of hits, got a couple of home runs. The way the guys rallied around him. The same thing with Frenchy Cordero, when when in the in the few times that he has contributed. And did he hit a bomb yesterday or what in Philadelphia? But you, you I just think it was see the, the highest recorded exit velo in the last five years for the Red Sox or something like that. 118, I think, miles an Crazy. hour. Crazy, yeah, rocket ship. And it went uh, about 780 feet. <laughs> something like that. Lambert in Pittsburgh. <laughs> <laughs> but they just it just seem to rally around these guys and, and they just seem to enjoy playing with each other. And I know winning has a lot to do with that. You know, that fosters camaraderie on a team. But but it's good to see. I mean, obviously we did not see that in this season last year, with them being separated and not couldn't even congregate together in the clubhouse. So I know, I, I'm looking forward to, to the to the summer. I think that um you know, they definitely have something going on here. You know what I think helps though is I think it's it's that Alex Cora effect because of the fact that if you think about it, whenever there's a player that's struggling and Cora has to answer questions on that, he has the full support of that player. And I think knowing that that goes through the clubhouse and guys know, hey, you know what, I can, I'm going to get into a slump at some point this year, and I know I got to work my way out of that, so I have that my own pressure that that's put on me to get out of that slump i don't have that added pressure that my manager is going to yank me out of the lineup because i went 0 for 12 in a series he has these players backs and he kind of looks at things a lot differently obviously than the casual fan does and i think that that helps and it keeps the clubhouse loose and allows the guys to focus and and allows the guys to just have fun play the game but understand at the end of the day their job is to win so and that's something that they didn't have last year with Renicky. He was the placeholder, you know what I mean? And then obviously all the COVID rules didn't make things easier. But with, but it just if you go and, and read Cora's comments or get a chance to watch the Zoom videos and they ask him about struggling players, just see how he defends the player. Talks about the little things that the guys do to get to the point to where they're at. So where we might see Franchi go 0 for 4 and be like, Jesus, this dude can't hit. But Cora's talking about, and I know some people don't want to hear it, you know, hey, he hit really well during batting practice. It's all the little baby steps that's going to get this player to be where eventually he's going to – they hope that he's going to be. So – and I'm just using him, Cordero, as, as an example. But I think that that, that Cora effect is just, is just truly undervalued right now because I, I really think it's a, it's a huge reason why this team, I'm going to say, is overachieving. And, I, and I'm getting more – my hands more around to the fact that this is going to, if they don't make the playoffs, I'm going to be disappointed this year. Um, but I think Cora, guys, I think Cora is the true reason why this team is bonding and gelling the way they are. No, I think you're right, Chris. And I think we've said it before. You know, I said these guys like playing together. They also love playing for Cora. For, you know, he just, he has his team. That's his team. And you mentioned that he doesn't bench guys, but he does give them a few days off when they're struggling. 
to try to figure things out, and that's the flexibility that they have in the roster is that they can move guys around and they have the luxury of being able to sit somebody like a Dahlback, like a Franchi. Uh, I think Marwin Gonzalez has been out of the last few games just to give them the chance to catch a breath and, and figure things out. And that has seemed to work for him every time he's done that. So he's also got that touch with his players too. And I'm sure he's communicating with them you know, off the field, telling them what, what the plan is so they don't get down on themselves and, and think that they're being benched. Yeah, and he seems to refer to that, you know, vaguely, you know, obviously, but he does refer to the communication between him and his players when someone rests, when someone gets the night off. And, you know, I just watch what he's doing. I can't agree with you more, Chris. I think, it, you know, Core is a humongous factor for their record right now. And I can't help but think, you know, how much he learned from that lackluster 2019 season and then being forced to watch from the sidelines in 2020. I just feel like, you know, you take someone who can win – who has two World Series rings already, and then you give him a huge lesson and like a, a real down part where he can build and, and learn from his mistakes. Now you talk about an absolute beast of a manager, and you know the, he, he's wildly, uh, he's just a wildly good fit for this team. All right, so while we talked about some hitters that were struggling, let's talk about some pitchers that have been scuffling a little bit lately. And I think the one at the top of the list of concern for me is Eduardo Rodriguez. He has struggled in at least the last three of his starts, if not more. Velocity's down a little bit. Um, been getting cuffed around quite a bit. Is it time to start worrying about him with the missing all of last year and with the COVID and um, you know the lack of work that he's had? Is it time to start being a little concerned with him? I think so, and, you know, last time we recorded, we talked about Erod, and it seemed as if he was getting a tad unlucky. Now I'm just starting to watch the games a little more closely, and it seems like uh, he's dealing with some residual effects of, you know, what he went through last year. And I can't begin to to think of, you know, his, his gas tank and what he's working with because I've never gone through anything, you know, as serious as that when it comes to, you know, playing a sport and – it just kind of translates on the field right here. I mean, his K percentage is still pretty good, but he's giving up crazy hard contact. He's walking guys. And like I said, when you're watching it, it just doesn't seem like he has any zip, not only on the fastball, but even his other pitches don't have that extra level to it. Like it has, you know, when he's looking sharp. Yeah. His fastball's down in velocity and his changeup doesn't have the movement on it that it, and if, when you don't have that separation between your fastball and your changeup, you're going to get hit. And I think that's what's been happening with him. Definitely, yeah. His fastball is down like a full mile per hour, and his changeup's exactly the same. And, you know, a margin of error, like you just said about a changeup fastball combo, given that this pitcher throws a changeup second most pitch out of his whole repertoire, you know, that's giving hitters clearly a way better chance at hitting, hitting everything. Fastballs, he's giving up, you know, batting average of 300 against fastballs. And because his changeup isn't as effective as it was a year ago. Or not a year ago, but last time he pitched in 2019. And they don't have that somebody down in the minor leagues like Tanner Houck, who's been out with a, I think it was an elbow issue. They say it's nothing major, but yet he stopped throwing. So that depth that we thought we had in the minor leagues has dried up a little bit. So it sounds like Erod's going to have to work through this. That's a great point. I mean, Houck, Siebold, all of those guys are kind of on the shelf right now. 
So we've also it's got crazy how fast he goes away. Also got Evaldi who scuffled for a couple of starts but seemed to turn it around in Philadelphia. I don't think he got the win, but um, I think he only allowed one run over five innings. But again, his he's not getting deep into games like he should be. He's running his pitch count up. He's struggling in some innings, keeping the runs down, but still not going deep into games. Anyone with any thoughts on that? Yeah, Ivaldi, his he looks like he still has good stuff. It just it's not he's not putting it together as as solidly as he was to start the season. Like you said, in Philly he looked a lot better. He had a nice little bounce back game, um, and it just we'll see how he can you know pile off it. Um, he has a two point four six FIP, which is pretty good. It's pretty good across the, across the league. So I mean I think he could pitch out of it and. Most importantly, there's not any telltale signs that he's any type of injury uh, lingering. And I think with Eovaldi, that is the number one red flag, the thing that worries you the most, the thing that keeps you up at night when you're thinking about the Red Sox rotation is his health. And so far, you know, we haven't seen a drop of fastball. We haven't seen, you know, any – we haven't seen, like, the cement mixer slider curveballs that can happen with arm fatigue. So it seems that all systems are go for Eovaldi. He's just going to have to continue to work and put it together. I think if you look at two, to kind of piggyback both on him and Erod and Ivaldi, I think we have this perception of what we expect starting pitchers to be. Like we used to be, we want them to go six, seven innings. Now you go five and that's, that's the norm. That's, that's what we have. Maybe, you know, we're accustomed to seeing these guys go to. In addition, it might just be that point of the year. We're almost now two months into it that every once in a while the guys aren't going to look as sharp. I would go ahead and say and be worried if he was giving up a ton of home runs, and he's not. He's only given up that one home run. His ERA is underwhelming, but he's still he's going out there. He's taking the ball. There has been no, no reports of anything to be concerned from an injury standpoint. He just might be going through the effects of – I've been thrown out for two months. I mean, yet last year was just a unique and different year, and I'm still trying to build myself back up from that. You know, um, I, I'm not at a point where I'm worrying more about Ivaldi. Erod, on the other hand, just to kind of piggy, you know, to kind of backtrack that in a little bit. Guess in the month of April, he had 26 strikeouts, two walks, a 3.52 ERA. Last five starts, he's got a 6.48 ERA with striking out 28 batters, nine walks. So your mind has to go to what's the one thing that could be the, the issue. And I have to think that it's the myrocard. I mean, there's that ill effects from COVID. And it's the only thing that you can kind of put the pieces together with. You know, I, I know that Cora is not worried and he's talking about, well, he's ramping it up. And by the third inning, he's fine. Well, at some point, we need to figure out why it's taken to the third inning for him to get going. You know, do they need to start looking at maybe seeing that the way he's pitching is, does he go three and then a Whitlock goes from innings four through six and then you bullpen it for the rest of the game? Do you do something to kind of get him built back up? Because is it a stamina thing? You know, what exactly is it? All the reporting seems to be the same <clears throat> in regards to what it could, you know, that he could just be tired or the, it's the ill effects of myocarditis or whatever it is. But, you know, to go five starts and your ERA is, you know, six, four, eight, and there's no change to the player, something's got to give. Somebody's got to know something as to what could be wrong. 
and it's time to kind of get that information out there because this isn't normal. You mentioned Whitlock too. He's he's another one who's run on some hard times lately. He hasn't been the lights out guy that he was the first month of the season that we saw. Well, I think another piece to that though is you know teams now have what thirty innings of film and data on this guy right. where they didn't have that in the past. But we were already so, measuring him for his Hall of Fame plaque. Well, people are yeah, or, or a Cy Young Award or his Rookie of the Year Award. I think everybody's got to understand too. This was a double. This is a kid that never came up double A. He's going to have hiccups. There's going to be times where he's going to get hit. It's just part of that natural attrition of becoming a major league pitcher. So I'm not, again, I'm not worried or concerned. If he was like, you know, if he was a consistent, you know, veteran been in the league the last couple of years and now starting to go through the doldrums and, you know, he's getting hit around. Okay, let's have a conversation of, okay, where, you know, what seems to be the issue. We get into July and ZRA, you know, skyrockets into the mid-fours, you know, around five all right different conversation there but kids get nasty stuff potentially through the roof let him work through some of this stuff maybe protect him a little bit but also don't be afraid to throw him out there in some high leverage situations to continue to build that confidence because they're they're going to need whitlock he is a player that they are going to need if they are going to be a competitive team throughout the course of the season he proved his worth they need to kind of write the ship figure it out i think they get the right guys around him to do that and the kid's a sponge he's soaking up everything so maybe he's just thinking a little bit too much just go out there pitch that's all you gotta do go out there throw your pitch get these guys out get back and we'll be good and when the season kind of kicked off he was i feel like he was used more cleanly you know he was coming in and it was really more of a true piggyback situation as now they're trying to give him and like you know throw him a couple innings but it can the, the flow of the game has been a little more, you know, volatile than it was to start off, and he's gonna have his bumps in the road because, truthfully, he's only a two-pitch pitcher. He really hasn't developed that third pitch, and once, like Chris said, once the other big leaguers get the, you know, some innings on film and they get a little bit more of a, a, a film, a, a little bit more of a, what do you call it, like research on him, they have a little bit more of the book made out of him. It's gonna make it easier for them to hit off of him and he doesn't have a great sinker which is his number one go-to pitch it gets hit quite often so you know he's gonna have to develop that third pitch if he wants to be a starter or be you know anything other than a one inning guy and seems like right now they still kind of have hopes either way because he's he isn't coming in and being asked to get three outs they want they're trying to use him in a multi-inning role so if he's going to be really successful that he's gonna have to develop a third pitch uh, if not, then he'll just be a, fast, a sinker, change-up, one-inning guy, which is great. They could use that. You know, obviously, every team could use that. And let me throw something else out there, too, real quick. You mentioned a few times during that last little piece, he's a two-pitch pitcher. Guess who else is a two-pitch pitcher? We mentioned his name a little bit earlier in the podcast, Tanner Houck. There's a reason why the Tanner Houck is down in AAA – Granted, he's hurt, but there's a reason why he's down there, to develop that third pitch. If the Red Sox had the ability to put Whitlock down in the minors to work on that third pitch, he would be there too. But Rule 5 rules, got to be on the big league roster for the full season. So he has to learn basically how to be a professional ball player at the professional level. So and in the grand scheme of things, He's pitched really well. I think Sox fans should be incredibly happy with what we've gotten out of Whitlock to this point. And again, I truly believe if they had the ability to put him down in the minors, I think he would be there so he can develop that third pitch. Because I think the long-term 
focus for him is going to be a starter. I think that's where they would want him to be. So to your point, Matt, it's going to take some time with that. Next year, they're going to have full rights to this player unless they give him back to New York. Not saying and advocating send him down, but you have options at that point for Garrett Whitlock if you want him to develop more as a big leaguer. All right, another guy that the uh, bullpen uh, has not been faring very well lately is uh, Saro Mora. He's been touched up for a few runs in his last few outings. Uh, is is the league got that same book on him now that they've seen him a few times? No question. And if I'm, you know, what I hope that he starts to do in, in, in the route that they have him go is he has to start abandoning that fastball. He gets lit up when he throws that fastball. Yeah, it's about 96 miles an hour, so it has some good velo to it, but it's getting touched. And I don't, it's not working for him at all. He needs to start throwing that splitter a lot more and kind of embrace that Koji Uihara approach to, to, to pitching the late innings. And I think he'd get far better results. Now, his ERA and stuff are still pretty good, so it's not like he's terrible. He's not uh, Ryan Brazier or Josh Taylor, one of those guys that really just uh, make you want to pull your hair out. I knew I would trigger you with both of those. If I use both of those names, I knew I could trigger you, Chris. Taylor's been getting but some yeah. high leverage situations lately, though. That's another thing. I, you know, I, I, we got. I, we'll get. To, we'll talk about it now. I was gonna bring it up with Cora. It, he, not only has he gone to bat for his hitters, he's gone to bat for his pitchers. When that guy wanted, to, when everyone wanted to shoot him off to the moon, he kept using them in big lefty situations. I'd still push that laundry cart in the middle of the mass bike with him inside of it. <laughs> I'm all set with that. Figuratively, figuratively, yeah. Yeah, figuratively, sure. metaphorically. Please don't put him in a, in a shopping cart. And push him on the mass bike, Chris. The syndicate doesn't have has doesn't have insurance to pay for lawyers to get you out. <laughs> Carry on, Matt. Sorry, I get a little. No, no. Taylor, I get more I, No, I that's. He goes super Saiyan. He goes super Saiyan. He talk about Josh Taylor. No, of course, but no, I pretty. That's pretty much it. I just would like to see Sarah Moore throw that splitty more and throw that four seamer less. You know what's what's nuts too is that in his last seven games, he's got a four five ERA, eight innings pitched, eleven hits, four earned runs, one walk, fourteen strikeouts. So the ERA is gaudy looking, and yeah, he's given up a ton of hits. But even in his last fifteen, sixteen hits allowed, six earned runs, his whip is about average, one point two nine. But it just seems like he's getting exposed in that fastball piece. But you know, the other piece, too, though, is he's he's not Uihara, though. You know, it, it's he's a different guy, and I, and I just, you know, if he can kind of channel some of that style. Um, but I think really at the end of the day, his numbers are not terrible overall. And, you know, he's got an overall three ERA. His whip is, is decent. Um, you know, the 24Ks, I just I think it's another one of those two we just talked about it is that there's is enough data now on this pitcher that teams are going to be able to adjust to that. 96 mile an hour fastball, great velo, but that's super hittable in this in the way this game is played right now. So I'm not ready to go and you know throw the ultimate concern up with Sauer I think what he is is he's a sixth, seventh inning pitcher that is probably gonna give us some memorable innings here or there, but. You know, I just, they need him to just be good. And I think that's what he's been. I think he's been good enough right now. And, you know, it's kind of go from there. 
I think the bullpen's definitely shook itself out, though. Ottavino's definitely the eighth inning setup guy, and Barnes has he's just been better. He's been a lot better. Yeah, he's been much better, and Barnes is, you know, he's he's been as close to a lockdown closer as you can get. The little hiccup with Shohei Otani last weekend, notwithstanding, um, and he's just a phenomenal, phenomenal player. So you know, you, you got to just tip your cat some cap sometimes to uh, to a guy like that. But you know, he, those roles are clearly defined. So it's it's just really cleaning up the uh, the sixth and the seventh. And I think uh, Hernandez, Darwin's and Hernandez, he had a huge moment in the uh, Saturday game at Philadelphia, where he came in with the bases loaded, and I think there was one out to face Harper, and was able to get him, and he was just horrendous all weekend as well. Um, but he's yeah, it he's, like he's hurt. Yeah, I think since he got hit in the face. Earlier in the month? No, something on his shoulder. He's been dealing with shoulder discomfort. He missed yesterday's game, and they're thinking he may sit a little bit this week. We're talking about Harper, not Hernandez. Harper. Yeah, yeah Harper. Right, yeah. Right. But, yeah. but Hernandez, though, I mean, he's he's had flashes, too. So, Absolutely. you know, I think yeah. out of that combination, it's just riding whoever's hot at the moment, be, be it Hernandez, Whitlock, Whitlock Saramora. You know, they, they can certainly piece it together to get to Ottavino and, and Barnes for the last two innings. And really, that that inning too that he had, I think it just it truly just set the tone for the rest of that game. That you know, just he was just he just was he looked everything like what everybody thought and what they expect out of him. Like he just he looked good, he looked confident. He just I don't know, he just he seemed like a different dude on the mound. So, but um, but yeah, I still think they're gonna need another arm for that pen. And maybe it comes from within. So like Kevin McCarthy that's down in the system. I think we're going to probably see him at some point this season. Um, but I still think they probably could use another arm for the pen. Because we're, believe it or not, like we get into June, that conversation of, you know, what is Bloom going to do? What are some trade talks? Who can the Sox acquire? That's going to start to become a prevalent conversation. Um, this is pure speculation, but I'm just going to, I'm just going to go with it. What the Rays just did in trading away Willie Adamas for two uh, big league ready, big league effective relievers, I could see Bloom kind of going to school on something like that. And why not take a Chavis and do a similar trade? Chavis and Adamas had similar value around the league. They're both kind of depicted as uh, prospects that will not flourish and not reach the ceilings that they once thought would do. Why not take him and go sniff around the National League and see who could use a first, second baseman that can hit with some power and grab one of those, you know, eighth inning guys, seventh inning guys off a team who might be deep. So I'm hoping Bloom's starting to put those things together. I mean, his old team just did it. Why not do something very, very similar given the people he has on his, at his disposal? And look at what the Rays do, though. I mean, a lot of what the Sox are doing, it's it's similar. There's a lot of similarities to some of the moves and from a depth perspective of what – Heim Bloom is the way he's built this roster is very similar to Tampa Bay. I mean, just Kike, Marin Gonzalez, Danny Santana, all three of those guys can play anywhere on the diamond, give them that versatility to do whatever. So think about now to your point. Yeah, I could see Chavis going. You have, I always butcher this dude's name, Jonathan Aruz. You have him down there. So he's still an option. At some point, Jeter Downs, he could be an option this year. He's starting to get hot, too. He's starting to look real good down in AAA. There's, 
there, there's people in the system that they could plug in. Um, and yeah, I, I look when they made that deal with the Brewers and, and they got those two arms. Like I was at first, I was like, wow, the Brewers gave up a lot. Um, but at the end of the day, you're getting a young shortstop that's controllable. You're gonna have to give up pitching. I mean, pitching is such a hot commodity. You're gonna have to give that up if you want to get something. And they got a shortstop that theoretically that they could they're gonna have for a handful of seasons. So I, that was a good move. And I yeah, I could see the Sox doing something very similar to that. And by the way, too, kid they picked up in that in the Benny trade, he's pitching really well down in in the mm-hmm. system too. He's got like a one five ERA. Where is he? Yeah, not saying he. I think he's in Double A. Yeah, I have to pull it up because I just 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 had that up. Because yeah, I don't think he had pitched um, above A ball coming into this year. No, no, that you're correct on that. I'll find it. it, it I'll have to find it. it. I had it in one of my 36 windows I have open here on my laptop. But um, th- there's there's options, and and you know. I know a lot of people. They're gonna listen and they're gonna they're gonna groan and be like, "Dude, why do you want to trade Chavis?" And you know, hit that home run in his first game when he got called up, and everybody loved him some Chavis again. But I think it's kind of one of those where it's like he's either like pissing off the pot this kid. Like, what are you gonna do with him? And I just don't see that he has a long term future with the Red Sox because of there's so many other pieces that are theoretically that are gonna be better. But when he came up, he provided a, a like a jolt and a spark to this team that they were just lacking for a short period of time. So. If you can turn that into pitching prospects or pieces for the bullpen, I'm all for it. I'm all for it. Because I think you could upgrade the Philip Saldez of the world. Finally sent Austin Bryce to the moon. Like So Josh Taylor, God, he's pitched better, and I hate saying that, but he's pitched better. He's looked a lot better. But that's in the short term. Can they upgrade a Josh Taylor? So if they are able to do something like that and get players similar to what they got back from the Brewers, just Heimblum doing Heimblum things, man. I like, it's only going to, it's only going to grow the legend of Heimblum. And just to put a, a pin on it, you know, we, we just want to, I just want to make sure that we got it. Josh Winkowski is pitching for the Port and Sea Dogs in 20 innings. He's got one point ERA. Only thing I would say that's a little bit of a red flag is his lack of K's. Given how hard he throws, he's not even at a K in inning. But whatever, his his stats look good, and if they can bring him up and see what they can, you know, make of him and continue to develop him, I think again, like you said, Chris, another arm that we can't count out even this year. And there's there's uh, and just if you go back and kind of look at like an archive through some of the guys that they that they, that they picked up from a pitching standpoint that's young. There's the kid that they got from the Rockies in the Kevin Pillar trade. And right now his name is escaping me because I wasn't expecting to talk about him, but he went to UConn. Um, you know, he's top three prospect now for this team. They're still going to announce at some point, I would think within the next week, the players that they're going to get as part of the finalizing of that Ben and Tenny trade. So I'm curious to see what that's going to yield back for the Red Sox. It's more prospects that they get into the system. It's more players they might be able to trade and spin off. I, and, I remember I, I said in the last podcast, too, that we recorded, having that fourth overall pick is such a huge luxury for this team as they're continuing to build because you might be able to trade a little nugget down in your system to help your team right now, knowing that you have a pick in the draft that you're going you're gonna to bring in a 
top premier talent. Baseball America has Jack Leiter falling on the socks in their latest mock draft, like streaking through the city if that happens. We already announced that. Like that's already going to happen. So I think they could trade. They could trade a little piece that they have in the system, knowing that they're going to have 20 rounds and they have a premium pick fourth overall every single time. So I don't know. Could get interesting in the next month and a half. And Bloom, some of these moves he's made too, he could go and, and swoop in and get a guy that none of us were thinking about. We're going to be like, oh, okay. He's, he's done that with the majority of the moves he's made so far. All right, so I'm just going to go ahead and dunk the ball that Chris threw up there for me, a little oop to his alley. Jacob Wallace is the guy you talk about from Colorado. He's pitching in, in Greenville. He's rocking. Uh, he doesn't have a good ERA, but his stuff is looking like a lot better than the stats show. And another guy just on top of that is uh, Durbin Hilton. Don't matter. Yeah, exactly. It's about the development. He might not even be throwing all of his pitches. You know, we're, we're going to make it work to our argument. That's what we're saying. But also Durbin Feldman, another guy yeah. that's kind of fell off and people thought he would be fast-tracked. He's pitching a lot better again this year. So, you know. I'm happy they didn't fast-track him and he, and he didn't become like Craig Hansen 2.0. And, they, yeah. and they're letting him develop down Great the point. system. Mm-hmm. Also, too, like we're talking about are they going to trade for a reliever? Could they bring up a guy like Jay Groom? Throw him in the pen as a lefty. Say, say Josh Taylor scuffles again. Is Jay Groom an option for the bullpen down the stretch? Uh, you know, is he is he in the conversation for that? Again, I still think that that Kevin McCarthy, right-hander, is with the uh, the Royals last handful of seasons. Signed a minor league deal. Dude's only 29 years old. Uh, didn't make the club. Also, too, Caleb Ort. He has been dominant. For the for the Wu Sox right now, out of the, uh, in the closer role, and he is absolutely like exceeding expectations. Kid throws incredibly hard. Um, been lights out down there. Um, by the way, Brandon Workman is still there, and I'm not you know gonna I'm not getting all giddy about Brandon Workman, but it's a big league arm, knows how to pitch in high leverage situations, has done it before, and who knows maybe Corey can utilize Workman in a way build that confidence. So I still think they need to find like the Danny Santana's of the bullpen, bring a few more of those guys in. Don't have to put them on that 40 man, see what sticks because I don't see them making like a ton of moves, but they're going to have to do something because this team is going to be in it and this team is going to be in it and they're going to be competitive and Sox fans are going to want to see them do something, especially with the fact that the expectations now is they're continuing to win. Expectations are going to be, they need to make the playoffs. Couldn't agree more. So you mentioned getting those guys on the 40-man, though. That that could be a trick because they, they already have a lot of those prospects on the 40-man, like a Jaron Duran, guys like that, Jeter Downs. Yeah, but you, I, don't, you don't want to so be jettisoning like, those guys to bring in no, 4A arms. No, no, and you wouldn't. You wouldn't. But is Philip Zaldez, is that someone that if he was DFA'd because you brought in another piece, would you be, would you be upset? Would you – that's that's you a know, guy that I, I forget be. is on on the major league team most of the time until and, he comes into pitch. And that's the player, and that's the player that's going to go. That's the player that they're going to DFA. That's the player that they're going to that they're going to that that's going to move on next. You know, so and when they and when they bring up the Durans of the world, that's Franchi Cordero. You know, so that's a that's an option swap. That's a swap for a swap. So none of those players who are going to have long term 
you know, prospects of being on this roster are going to go. It's, it's those lower tiered players that are a dime a dozen. Josh Taylor's a dime a dozen. There's 30 other Josh Taylors spread across the league. He just happens to be pitching really well right I now. I hope we're not pushing all I'll of them him. onto the pike too, because that could create a hell of a traffic jam. Let me tell you what, get an easy pass trying to get them through, uh, get them to the pike. But let me tell you, at the end of the at the end of the day, I still they, they there's options and players they can maneuver. Also, a name that we haven't really talked about too too much that I really think is going to probably impact this team more in the bullpen is I still think that Chris Sale is better suited just for this year and putting him out of the pen or in that Garrett Whitlock style of role. That's where I would rather see Sale be, maximize the full potential with what is available to you this year because I think next year, that's when you're letting Sale loose. This year, in my opinion, needs to be controlled. Let's see what you have and put him in a situation to where you can maximize Chris Sale because you know he's going to be on innings restriction. You know that there's only going to be so many pitches he's going to throw. You're going to protect that asset. So that's more that, – again, that's another option that's coming right up the shoe. And then Ryan Brazier is coming up too. But so there's some options. There's some, there's some reinforcements on the way. Still think they need to make a move. You brought up Chris Sale, and I did want to talk about him. He's another guy that you're going to have to make room for on the 60-day – on the uh, – 40-man roster because right now he's exempt being on the 60-day IL. But uh, Sean McAdam of Boston Sports Journal wrote an interesting article about him over the weekend. Um, he's throwing off a mound now, so you know obviously we're starting to project when he's going to come, you know, be ready to come back. Looks like it's definitely not until well after the All-Star game. Um, hasn't thrown to any 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 live BP yet, but he gave three different scenarios for how Sale could come back. One would be to just step right into the rotation. The other one that I thought was uh, – the other one was um, what you mentioned, Chris, him pitching out of the bullpen. And then the third one, which I thought was interesting, was the Red Sox going to a six-man rotation. And I thought that was interesting because of what we talked about with Rodriguez on him coming back after being off for a year and the issues with COVID. That would give him an extra day's rest through the rotation. And with the injury history of Evaldi uh, and Garrett Richards, keeping those guys fresh – throughout the season so maybe the six man isn't the worst idea i don't know what do you guys think of that i think that there may not be a pitching staff more suited to benefit from a six-man rotation than the red sox for all the reasons you just expressed and what i do like about if they went with sale as a six uh pitcher i like the idea of having the whitlock and injuries there that if he just wakes up that morning is like hey i need extra day you can kind of plug it in and see where you go from there. Uh, so I like it. I'm in favor. I know it's kind of like uh, kind of co- coughed at, you know, throughout the the baseball community, but I don't, I, I'm for it. I think it would work for Yavaldi, all those guys to take a, an extra day to get themselves healthy for the long term. Because like Chris said earlier, this team is now having to focus on winning the division or making the playoffs. This is not a feel good story any longer this is a competitive team that needs to win some ball games yeah i think if you're going to see it at any time this is the season you're going to do it with everybody with everybody having played a shortened season last year the arm strength just isn't going to be there out for, for the entire season so if you're going to do it at any time to give guys an extra break i think this is the this is the season you know another thing too real quick is just 
if Erod was uh, if he was under control and was going to be under contract next year, I could see them just kind of putting him on the IL and letting him recuperate there. But I don't think they want to do him, you know, do him dirty like that. I think they want to let him pitch. So the solution does seem to suggest a six man rotation would would benefit him quite quite nicely. Chris, you had a thought. I I just wanted to piggyback on the on the six man and then even potentially with Sale in the bullpen. Just everybody is going to focus on the dollar amount that's attached to Chris Sale. They're going to focus on whatever that number is. We'll call it thirty million. Let's not focus on that. Let's focus on getting a pitcher who, when he's healthy, is one of the of the right now the game's best starting pitchers. Let's maximize him to his fullest capacity right now. And if that means again, you go to six man rotation and it gives a guy like Erod who could potentially use the extra day off. I'd rather them figure that out now and have these guys fresh for September, October when you're going to need them. Or, again, he's another Whitlock. He's another guy that you can have, three innings. Seeing Chris Sale for nine innings over the course of a full week versus maybe just one start, to me, who knows, that might be more beneficial right now for this team. Game's changing. Game's evolving. And I think that fans have to adapt to that too. That you know, And, and I'm sure that the Red Sox – they already have this somewhat figured out of what they're going to do. They're saying what they're saying, but you know that they've already had this conversation. Chris, when you're back, we're going to do bing, bing, bing. If this happens, we're going to do this. If this happens, we're going to do this. And if this happens, we're going to do this. So while we're discussing all this, team already knows what's going to happen. Let's just see what happens. Let's see what, what, you know, what he's like when he pitches in a simulated game. Let's see what happens when he's pitching you know, against live batters. And then, and then we can kind of gauge and, and go from there. But six man again, I don't know if that's going to work long term for the whole season. Short term, fine. And then again, the bullpen is still. It's not like it's a bad thing. You're just strengthening your pen with one of the game's best arms. And I just wanted to throw back real quick to the forty man roster. Some players that could potentially be quote DFA'd off there to make some room. Um, I think Colton Brewer could be a candidate. He does. He's the luxury to him, guys. He still gets some options, so the Red Sox can call him up and down and as is. But uh, Brian Mata is on the forty man, but he has not been placed on the IL yet. He had that Tommy John surgery, so once you place him on the IL, Mata goes on the IL. I think that's where you see Chris Sale. Chris Sale fills in that spot yep. right there. That's the move that's going to happen there. Um, besides that, I was looking at the position players. I mean, the only position player to me that makes sense maybe is Marcus Wilson. Like, like at the end, like if you had to DFA somebody, it would be Marcus Wilson. He's the only other guy that I'm looking at that kind of feels like could be the odd man out. But I think they would trade him before they would just potentially let him go for nothing. Is Munoz on the 40 man? He is not. Really? I'm just thinking with Verdugo's hamstring situation, you, you might need another outfielder sooner rather than later. If if he goes on if he goes on the IL, I think you're going to see Chavis come back up again. Chavis is, you know, I think could be that, you know, the guy that gets called back up again. Plus, if he goes, and then Arroyo is going to be back at least this week, at some point this week. So yeah, no, he's Chavis already been called up. Get that and call back Chavis up. was sent down. Oh, that's right. Yes, I'm sorry. So 
That's right. I'm sorry. So, yeah, Chavis might be that guy that comes back again. Get him on the taxi. Bring him back up. Get him on the Woosock show. Because you, you, you have the luxury, with, at least with Chavis, where he, he can play some outfield if you need him to play in the outfield. And even in the in the short term, though, if if Verdugo goes, does go in the IL, you have Santana, who can play everywhere. And Alex Cora said that he really kind of wants to mainly see him on, you know, first, second, and then maybe in the outfield. So you have that. You, Marwin Gonzalez can play everywhere. You still get Kike that can play everywhere. So you have – you still got that flexibility to move some guys around if, if Verdugo goes on the shelf. All right, Chris, you mentioned Santana a few times. Why don't you talk a little bit about what he did this weekend, his call-up? I, I, I think t- you, you made a prediction what? that was uh, was gold, Jerry, gold. Yeah, I said that uh, since I said two for four in a home run. He got the home run. He didn't go two for four. I mean, two home runs in the in his first two games. Um, his batting average is not there over the first three games, but he just he's provided a spark and a jolt to the top of the lineup that this I feel like this team's just missed. You know, Kike went on the IL. Kike is really not a leadoff hitter. He's not a true leadoff guy. I don't even think Danny Santana is, to be honest with you, either. But he came up and he just provided an instant spark for this team. And it like turned fans' heads to be like, whoa, okay, who's this dude? Well, this guy's like two years removed from hitting 29 home runs. He played a full season with Texas. Versatility through the roof. I just mentioned he's going to play some first. He's going to play the outfield. He's going to play second. The year they hit 29 home runs for Texas, he played every single position except, except he didn't catch. And – it's just another piece of that Heimboom puzzle to where he goes out, gets that player with that versatility to go wherever, and it gives them so many more options for this roster. It's just, it almost seems like it just, every single move as of late that Bloom has made, it just, it it doesn't look like he's can, he can do no wrong. But, um, but no, I mean, he had a moonshot of a home running game too. He golfed it out of the ballpark. Um, I just I think it just gives him another big league hitter with a ton of offensive upside in in the short term. I'm not saying he's going to be a 30 home run hitter again, but he's got some pop and he's 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 going to help give them some pop in the top of that lineup. And I don't know. I was impressed this weekend. I was impressed. I was surprised he was inserted into the leadoff spot right off the bat in his first game. That's it seems like that lead-up spot though. is not person-specific. It exactly. seems like they put in whoever's in that spot that night. It was Chavis. It's been Arroyo. It's been uh, Hernandez. It's been any. It's been Santana now. So it seems like they just two, three, four, five is set in stone. Number one, it's whoever's in that night. Well, I think it uh, was uh, it was Hernandez. Was well, the lead-up spot. Yeah, when Hernandez was in playing every day, right. it was his spot. But, but then, then he, he was he out with his hamstring took the night issue. Off, they didn't, right? And when he would, even if he got a you know your routine day off, they didn't. They never really slid Verdugo up. You know, they don't really slide up those two, three, four, five. Those dudes seem like they are the, they are the guys for those roles. Where number one, it will be Hernandez when healthy, and probably will be Hernandez come playoffs if they're in it. But it does seem like the 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 playing B's and C's fill into that leadoff spot before anyone else does. Yeah, I guess what I was saying was his first game up, they put him in the leadoff spot. That That's what I, you know, usually when a guy first comes up, and I know he's they been in the big it. leagues before, but usually when a guy comes up, he doesn't hit leadoff. 
that's kind of a rarity. Right. They did it with Chavis, too, though. When Chavis got called up, True. and in that game against Baltimore, he let off, too. Yeah, maybe, like Matt said, you don't want to mess with two through five, you know, two through six, even. It seems to be pretty locked in with Vasquez hitting in the sixth spot. Right, exactly. So let me let me ask you a question, though, because I heard this on the radio earlier today, and when you guys saw the lineup that the Red Sox trotted out yesterday, what was your thoughts? No Bogarts, no J.D. Martinez, no Alex Verdugo. I don't know if you guys saw that, have any opinion on that, because I have an opinion on it. Yeah, I think it's... Go yeah, ahead, Matt. Go, go ahead, ahead Matt. No, you can go. I talk enough. <laughs> well, my, my instant thought was, you've already won this road trip. You know, you've won the series. You know, is I know what they were trying to do. Trying to, you know, they had the day off on Monday. They were trying to get those two days of rest for those key guys. They had already had a successful series. To me, it's like in the NBA, you're, you're scheduled... It's a scheduled loss. Plus, they saw Wheeler going. He's been red hot for the Phillies. That they just said, all right, we're going to take advantage of this. And it's a marathon, not a sprint. So, that was my thought. Yeah, I, I agree with everything you said. The, the, and on top of that, I do think it was a little bit of a factor of circumstance. Because Verdugo was dealing with a, a nagging hamstring they were in a National League ballpark. I think if I think it was more of a Bogart scheduled day off where it just made sense to then trickle down to the other two because of the circumstances. I think if they were playing in Fenway, you would have seen JD still out there. Yeah, you would have seen one of those two DH. Yeah, you would have seen someone out there. I just think it's a, a little bit of both. But like you said, Bill, it's that's kind of the mentality of uh, of sports now. It's not ultra competitive like it used to be. It's more like let's play the long term out. Let's think of all the factors here. Let's weigh all the options. And it was just like an NBA scheduled loss. So I'm going to play devil's advocate here because I have to try to go at some point back to my roots of where I have to be a little bit cynical here. So I heard on the radio, and this was a really good point, and then it, it started to get my, my wheels turned a little bit. Billy, and you, you alluded to it. You had mentioned that the Red Sox, they had, they had a winning road trip, and hell, they, they, they won the series against Philly. I understand Alex Verdugo getting yesterday off. He's tweaked the hamstring. Give him Sunday. Give him Monday. See where things are at, and then make the decision if an IL stint is, is necessary. He didn't actually get the day off. He ended up pinch hitting in the ninth inning and hit, had to correct. run the bases. Yeah. Maybe you maneuver JD and Xander Bogarts to not have three of your best hitters out of the lineup. Right. I don't care that you won a series. I don't care that you won the won the road trip, you cannot have three of your top hitters out of the lineup. It, and, and I hate agree with Tony Maserati and him saying this, but like they, he's saying like this team's not good enough to do that. Like, I kind of have to agree with that. Like, well, obviously it didn't work yesterday. It, and it didn't. And like, remember, last, remember the year after they won the world series, right? Alex Cora just had this like, the one knock to him is he has this like super smug, I know more than you mentality. I got that vibe from yesterday's lineup. I looked at it, I saw it on Twitter. I'm like, really? And then and then then they they get blown out because Erod struggling on the mound, and and then the offense couldn't get anything going. Devers hit a ball to the to the moon, but beyond that, they got nothing going. 
if you know that you want to give JD a day off, he's been playing the outfield, he's been DHing. You know you want to give Bogarts the day off. Plan it differently. This team cannot afford to have three of their most productive hitters out of the lineup. I don't care that it's not a sprint and that it's a marathon. You can't afford to give away games when the Tampa Bay Rays are playing out of their mind and the Yankees are playing equally just as well as all three of the teams in in this conversation. You cannot give away games. When you have a team like the Philadelphia Phillies who are on the ropes, they played horrendous defense all series long. They looked like a joke in the field half the time. They had them on the ropes. You go for the juggler. You take them out. You sweep the series, and you come back home against the Braves, and you you just you go at it again. They gave up. A, they gave away a game against the Phillies, and I know there's more to go, but that's the type of stuff that that comes back to haunt you. You can't give up games. I'm sorry. See, I just don't. I don't. I don't really, I don't really agree with that because I think other teams are going to do it too. The Rays. May, this is the Rays playbook. They're going to do it. They've done it amongst their 11th game win streak. And it didn't matter if they could have they could have acquired the two hottest hitters in baseball, played them on the team with J.D. and Verdugo and Bogarts. Wheeler was still going to deal. That guy has been on absolute fire. And I think no, it's I, just you do that on you don't do like I understand you can get like all mad about it and say that, you know, they can't afford to it. But everyone's going to do it. The Dodgers do it. The, the Padres do it. Every team does it, and they do it on and Sundays. I, and I know they're going to do it. And, and, and Sundays right, so it's not like they're giving away the game. It's not like, Sundays, yes, they, they might have been a scheduled loss, to sort of speak. But at the same time, like other teams are going to do it. People did it yesterday. Go look at all the laps throughout the big leagues. You see a lot of people sit on Sundays because you have the day off on Monday. You want to give two me, days, I, I mean, two days I to believe think, it. I think – and you can attest to it too, man. I mean every single – you know, every single fantasy baseball. Owner, oh yeah, you're I, always depleted on Sundays. If if you're losing your matchup and you're coming into Sunday, you know you're screwed. Like unless like you catch lightning in a bottle from one guy and they do they pull a Jesse Winker and they hit three home runs, like you're screwed. Like if if you're down, you're you're done. I just I look at it from the perspective of Tampa Bay has just been on a tear. Right, but I bet what I'm saying is I bet you when the Red Sox were rallying off nine straight, the Rays did it. But that's the start of the season. We were 10, 12, 15. It's still the start of the season. We're only a quarter of the way through. You're dealing now with a month of injuries. I just think, like, it's just – we've we've pulled you to the light. And now don't let Tony Maz pull you to the dark side. That guy doesn't even watch baseball. I get it. But, you know, know, Tony And it doesn't make any sense. It just doesn't. It doesn't have any logic to it. The Verdugo piece to me, I I was like, yeah, you know what? I get it. Verdugo's out. Right, but JD's normal position was off the field. He's been playing his backup position all weekend. So it just – if they played at Fenway, someone would have been in that lineup at DH. It's just I guess they're not built it, for National League ballparks all I the time. I guess out of all of it, I'm, I'm a little more upset to the fact that Xander Bogarts, who faces this team right now, does he really need to take Sunday We've off? We've been saying this about Monday Bogarts off. for three years. Clearly, he does need it. He just keeps he getting like the third game of the season off this year, didn't he? Exactly. His scheduled off days seem to be as set in stone as Kawhi Leonard's. But, you know, not only is... Monday, today, a day off. They've also got Thursday off, too. It's just a two-game set with the Braves. Then it's another day off while they're at home. So was it, you know, a desperate need to leverage that extra day off with the day off Monday? You know, with the day off Sunday, followed by the day off Monday? I don't know. You, you, I, I think it's still subject to question. I just, I, I, we just talked about Erod struggling. 
we we've had some conversation about Evaldi. The pitching, the starting pitching, hasn't been. And again, I, I'm saying this, and the team's been seven and three in the last ten games. So I guess some like nitpicking here, but I don't know. I mean, I'm, I don't also want to react to what another team does. I guess I'm just kind of trying to read the room and say, Tampa Bay has just come right up there, and boom, they've overtaken the lead. And it's a long season. I get that. I just, I don't know. I just, I heard that, and I was like, huh. Okay, that makes a ton of sense. Why did they do that? And then you start looking at it, and the only thing to me that made sense was Verdugo. I, like, I guess I look at it from the perspective of Xander. I don't feel like he needs that day off, but then again, I'm not Xander Bogarts to say or not whether he does need it. I don't know. It just to me, if it, it was just, it, it just didn't make sense. But well, do you think some of it has to do this. with the schedule that they've got coming up? Because they've had you know, relatively soft schedule so far this year. But now they're, they're, yeah, they're going to get start getting into it. they got, you know, over the next month or so, they're going to play, I think, seven games with the Yankees. They've got seven games with the Astros. They've got the Braves coming in. I think they go to Atlanta over the next month. So it's going to start. You, you're going to really get into that grind of the summer now with these tougher teams coming up. So maybe they saw this as the opportunity with the, with the off day following on Monday that, this is a chance we can give guys a little bit of a break before we get into it hot and heavy with the better teams. Well, they get three days off for the month of June. They're gonna ha- they're gonna have two Mondays and a Thursday off. And yeah, I mean they're gonna they got six with the Astros. I guess it's a good time to talk about that schedule that's getting harder, huh? Um, they got six with the that Astros. That was a pro segue against... I just did. That's beautiful. Um, six with the Astros, six with the Yankees. Uh, they have six with Kansas City. You're gonna see Tampa come in here. You got fourth Toronto, and you got Atlanta back in there. Do I dare to say that June is make or break? I mean, they got some juggernauts in this thing right here. The Yankees, you probably expect them to maybe if they split it, okay, fine, great. You got it. You got to win the series against Tampa Bay. They're just they're hot as hell right now. Kansas City, middle of the road team. I don't want to give games away. Same thing with the Astros. I think I think June is gonna. June is going to really tell us exactly what this team is, I think. Yeah, no question about it. Yeah, if they if they if they come out flat on their face after this month, you know, will they be will will they be done? No, but it, I think you're right, Chris. This is this is where you know the rubber meets the road, and you got every the teams you have a chance of facing in the postseason, you'll be facing this month, including the World Series. So. It's really time to to get ready, and maybe that is what they were doing uh, last yesterday. But yeah, June's June's a buzzsaw. There's no doubt about it. And let me re- I, I want to reiterate too the the last series of the month against Kansas City is a four game series against KC. But from a June standpoint, it's just three games against KC because they only have the the June schedule up. But you know, Benny comes home. They're gonna go to him. Um. They got they got the Yankees at Yankee Stadium. Then New York comes comes here to 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 Fenway. You're gonna go to Atlanta. Beautiful ballpark, by the way. If you ever have an opportunity to go to Atlanta, beautiful ballpark. Um, so this is gonna be an interesting month. I'm excited though because it, it's really gonna be able to tell us again if this team's legit. If this team is gonna make a serious run and they have they have a winning record and they and they come out still either in first or second place. I mean. If people are not believing in this team and think this team can go into the playoffs, once you get in the playoffs, I don't care what your record is. All bets are off. I mean, everybody's equal at that point. 
And the way that Alex Cora managed that bullpen and what he did throughout the entire playoff series, this team can compete with, I think, anybody because I think, I think that they're they're going to have that ability where you have that that big league manager that's experienced, knows how to use his arms, understands his players. Sox could do some damage. I don't want to get ahead of ourselves. We got to get through June, but no doubt this is going to be a really really tough month. Yeah, I think you're right. We're gonna. All right, Matt, I'm back. I'm back, Matt. You see that? I brought it back in. I did a little positivity at the end. I said that they're going to do some damage. We're back. You had me so worried there, Christopher. I thought you were gone again. <laughs> no, no. We're, we're... <laughs> Damn you, Tony Mass. All right, guys. I have one more non-Red Sox thing to talk about. So do either one of you have any, any other Red Sox-related issues before we move on? Uh, no issues. I'm just really excited to see what June brings, and then I am so excited for that draft. More on that to come from oh, us. I, I am stoked about the draft. All right, let's move on to the Tony La Russa issue. This might be a little old, but I, I still want to talk about it because, Chris, I know you have posted some things on social media. You had a hashtag fire Tony La Russa going on, so – Still stand by it. All right, I want to I want to get your your take on the whole situation. Why don't you run down what happened, which led to it, and why you are pushing for Larusa to be fired? So the White Sox and the Twins were playing, and the White Sox were up big. The Twins decided they were going to bring in a position player, and Yerman Mercedes, who has just been tearing the cover off the ball. First time in the bigs, full year this year. Missed a sign from the dugout from the third base coach. Hit a home run and sparked some controversy because of the fact that Tony LaRusso felt that he disrespected the game by hitting that home run and running up the score and then ultimately not following the sign from his third base coach. Here's my stance. Game's changing. If I'm a big league pitcher, uh, if I'm a big league hitter, and there's a 47-mile-an-hour meatball that's in front of my eyes, what do you think that they're conditioned to do? Crush the baseball. He did that. Tony LaRusso, if you don't want him crushing the baseball and you want to go and talk about respecting the game, well, maybe the Twins shouldn't suck and have a position player on the mound. They decided to put the position player on the mound. They decided that was what they were going to do. You decided that the game was bigger than the position player. The game is changing. Tony LaRusa, you want to talk about unwritten rules? Why don't you learn the actual rules first? Understand how posts, how the, how extra innings goes and how certain the intricacies of that goes and understand how your team can win a game. Because by the way, you didn't and you lost. So stop giving me as a fan and telling me how I need to interpret the game. The game is changing. I don't have any issue with the tattoos of the world, pimping the home runs, crushing the home runs, doing dances, bat flipping, whatever they want to do, let them do it. Baseball needs to grow the game. It needs a personality. They need players to have personality. When you go and they say that, and then on top of it, when you go in a press conference after the game and you throw your player under the bus, like, I have a problem with that. If you have a problem with the fact that Mercedes went and did what he did, hit a home run, missed the sign, discipline him behind closed doors. 
like what are you what are you proving Tony La Russa going out there and saying about a journeyman kid who has been in the minors his entire career finally gets a chance and you call him clueless that was a quote he called this player clueless this is a team that has a roster that can go to the playoffs if anybody wants to go and tell me that the White Sox have their managers back you are full you're full of it like because you don't Tony La Russa like the game has passed you by I don't understand why he's the manager of the White Sox but then again, the White Sox owner, that was a decision. This is Bobby Valentine 2.0. I just – I don't understand these guys that just – like I, I'm all for the, 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 the purity of the, of the game and stuff, but there are times that the game is going to change. I have no problem with a guy hitting a home run if you put a position player in. Like that other team made the decision. I get the missing sign piece, but I think ultimately, guys, the biggest like gripe that I had with the whole thing is the fact that he went and put his player on blast in front of, in front of every, you know, in front of the world, and you don't need to do that. Like, I just have a problem with that. I have, I don't like that style of leadership, and to me, Tony Larusa was not a leader with his comments. I think he lost the clubhouse, and when you lose the clubhouse, you deserve to lose your job. And the game has passed him by. That team deserves better than Tony La Russa. That team deserves a coach and a manager that's going to understand their players, that's going to have their back. And if you can't do that, and if I'm a fan of the White Sox, I'm pissed. And, like, the, the, like the tone that I have and the way I'm feeling inside talking about it, I'm, I'm pissed. For them, I feel bad for these guys because that's a good team. Those are good players. And they just have a manager who thinks he's bigger than the game. That will go and sit down and call his player clueless. He's clueless. The game's passed you by. Time for bed, Tony. It's over. So I'm going to agree with you on the part about the game is changing. It certainly is. The bat flips, the selfies, whatever whatever the, the players are doing, and that's for the better. I'll agree with you 100% on that. I also agree with you that Larusa shouldn't have called his player out publicly. He should have dealt with it in-house, uh, behind closed doors, done whatever discipline he had to do. What I don't agree with is the missing the sign, and then Mercedes says something like, well, that's that's who I am. That's what I do. That, to me, is wrong. No, I'm sorry. You're, you're saying that you are bigger than the game when you say something like that. And a guy who's in his rookie season, who's been a journeyman his whole career, is certainly not bigger than the game. I agree with LaRusa. It's showing up the pitcher. I don't care if Minnesota put uh, a position player into pitch. For, for Mercedes to do that on a 3-0 pitch when he has the take sign, to me, is inexcusable. And I think, and, and I think he has to learn a lesson from that. And you could say the game has passed Larusa by speaking as the old guy in the room here. I gotta say, Larusa's val. He, this is a Hall of Fame manager. His opinion is still valid. I may not like the way he handled it, but I gotta agree with him that that approach of of hitting a home run on a 3-0 count against a position player is is not in the best interest of the game. It's not the character of the game in general. I think at some point you have to call off the dogs and not show up your opponent when, when the game is like that. To me, if they put a position player into the game, they've obviously conceded the game, and they're not trying to be competitive at that point. If he walks you, fine. You hit a home run on the first pitch, fine. You do not swing at a 3-0 pitch. I know it's an unwritten rule, 
But I got to side with Larusa on that, and I think his opinion is valid, and I and I and I disagree with you that he should be fired just because of that. Matt, do you want to break the tie? I hate to do this, but I kind of see it from all angles because the things that I don't like about it, I just, I just don't think that you can. I don't think Larusa has a gripe to say that it's disrespecting the game when the other team is throwing a guy whose nickname is La Tortuga throwing 47 miles an hour. We're not talking about the game at that point. We're talking about forfeiting. Now, you want to talk about the missing the sign and him catching a little bit of heat for that? That's a team thing. That's something you kind of have to deal with, and I do think it's something worth dealing with because as a unit, you have to operate as a team, and you have to uh, you know, abide by the rules like the man on your left and the man on your right. So I do understand, you know, Larusa had to, you know, let him know that that's not how it's going to be, and you can't go spat off to the to the media about how that's just how you do things, because guess what, buddy, how you do things didn't get you to the big leagues till you're 27. So, you know, I think both guys were a little bit wrong here. Uh, now, Larusa definitely should not have called him out in public like this. You know, this is something that you know I don't want to. I'm not going to talk talk badly about a man because just he's older than I am, but. In a lay, in, in, the 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 magnifying glass of which these guys operate under now is so big because now uh, a, a comment can go across the globe in 10 seconds. So it's not like it used to be, where just your local media hears you kind of you know talking badly. It's the world will. And let's not throw stones when you live in a glass house, Mr. Rulus. You've got some things that people could call you out to, and they don't because it, you know that's an unwritten rule of just camaraderie and and teamwork team building whatever so i do think that they all everyone violated something along the lines here uh it just i do what i do not like is i hate when unwritten rules get brought up the literal term unwritten rules get brought up because it if you're not a baseball fan your eyes glaze over your ears shut off when you hear those two words so it sucks that it comes up because it's kind of i think it's silly that if it was 2-0 we wouldn't be talking about this so if it was 3-1, 3-1, we wouldn't be talking about this. It's kind of weird and kind of silly that this is the type of hills that people choose to die on when it comes to this type of discussion. But in terms of the player and the coach, both could handle themselves better and both could have done things uh, a little bit more right. And maybe, and you know, Bill, you're right. Larusa is a legend. So I don't know if the clubhouse is holding him as accountable as the baseball world was because his opinion does matter. And maybe a closed door conversation after the fact was had where they all could hash it out. I don't know. I'm not there, but I do know publicly both men could have handled it better. Yeah, for sure. And, yeah, and, and you, so, you know, Larusa, we, I was quick to, to say when he was hired that I thought it was a joke for him to be coming back. Right. At this no, point. we all said that. On you know, this we all agreed sure. to that. Go ahead, Chris. I, look, I, I agree with the, with you in the, in the respect to if, if Mercedes truly just said, screw it, I'm not going to go and follow the sign and I'm going to go and jack it out, fine. That needs to be handled behind closed doors. Don't air out your team's dirty laundry. I, I, I'm not a fan of that. I appreciate Tony LaRusso's passion, though. Like, while I, while I, I am all set with Tony LaRusso, I do appreciate his passion and his love and respect for the game. Because I think also to to an extent, at times that's lost. I know we're and, and I've and I've said it too. I've I've said for a while now that we need to grow the game. 
not the only person who said that. There's a lot of people who have cachet who's out there, and their word means something that has said, hey, we need to grow the game. So LaRusse is passionate about a game that he loves, passionate about a sport that he's been very successful in. But with that being said, I, I just I, – I truly believe that the game has passed him by. He's made comments recently talking about how he misses the, the days of when he managed with, against Jim Leland. Dude, like I know who Jim Leland is. You guys know who he is. But like people who are growing up don't. It's, it just it feels like he's just out of touch. And again, if I'm White Sox ownership, I try to find someone else who has relatability and can connect with their players. Chicago had every opportunity in the world to hire Alex Cora, and they didn't. They had every opportunity in the world to hire A.J. Hinch, and they didn't. They had every opportunity in the world to hire anybody else, and they didn't. They went with the legend. They went with the mystique. They went with the, the persona of Tony La Russa. Not working. And it sucks because they have really good young talent. And to me, if a player goes and says there's nothing wrong with the clubhouse, guess what? Something's wrong with the clubhouse, guys. When Lance Lynn is speaking out against his manager, when his shortstop has the back of his, of his DH, doesn't have the back of his manager, I, you know, it just, it just, it's a giant trickle effect and it sucks because, you know, I, I, I want to say like, yeah, I respect the game. And, and I do like, I, as a fan, as someone who's, you know, I've never, I played baseball up until high school and now I'm in men's softball and tweaking my hamstring and groin running out ground balls and stuff. But like at the end of the day, like I respect and love the game of baseball and I want to see it be played correctly. I will never forget Terry Francona's opening press conference when he talked about how he wanted to manage players who wanted to play the game correctly. I respect that. I also respect managers who understand that the game changes. And there are going to be there's going to be other opportunities where players aren't going to miss signals. They're not going to miss signs and they're going to go and pimp that home run. What if another player crushes a home run? and celebrates for the White Sox in a way that his manager doesn't like it. Is he going to call him out too? Is he going to call Jose Abreu? Like, is he going to call Luis Robert? Like, it just, I feel like that he's put himself in such a position that in just one, not even a full season, he is probably on a point of no return. Yeah, but let's, let's not condemn the guy until he does something like, like that, though. I mean, yeah, that might happen, and I might agree you? with you at that point. But he hasn't done that yet. He hasn't called out a player for pimping a home run that I know of. Not yet, not yet. But I'm, I, I again, we're. I think it, it, based off of what we've seen so far, I'm not going to be surprised. I don't want to go and say it's going to happen, but I'm not going to be surprised when it does. Let me let me ask a question. You talk about the unwritten rules. Sure. Are all the unwritten rules now off the table? Can you bunt on somebody if he's got a no hitter going in the seventh inning? See, I have a take on that that has nothing to do with unwritten rules. I want it to come back. I think that – are we going to talk about the no-hitters in this episode? Is this for another yeah, show? Yeah, let's, let's go. All right, because let's tie this together. Sure, let's rules. make another pro segue. I think that what happens is I think, that, I think that we're seeing a lack of competitiveness, whereas when I was a kid, someone would bunt to try to piss off the pitcher, and it would work, and we all hated it. 
But now the fact that it never happens, I even hate it more, which is yeah. weird to me. But I think that's just a lack of competitive nature with these athletes. It's the same thing of needing days off. When Back when I was a kid, they didn't get the days off all the time like this. It wasn't so calculated. It was more about, I need a win in the unwritten rules. So like as a kid, I would have said, that is for the birds. Do not bunt when there's no hitter. But now, hell yeah, bunt. You want to be no hit? There are three teams in this league that's been no hit twice this year. You have like a 4.5% chance of throwing a no hitter against the Indians and the Mariners. That's insane that none of those guys wanted to bunt. Mitch Hanniger, the other night when that no hitter, Spencer Turnbull threw a no hitter, he was swinging out of his keister with two strikes in the bottom of the ninth. He had he had no competitiveness. I know when I was a kid, I wouldn't want to be no hit. I'd do anything I could to not be no hit. And these guys nowadays seem like they're okay to be no hit in the fifth inning. Yeah, I'm gonna be honest with you, dude. I'm gonna drop a bunt. I don't care about it, like because that's just like I'm a, like, I like that's my competitiveness. I don't want to be no hit. And I know it's not apples to apples here, but like, you know, I just said to you, like I put in a men's softball league, we're rowing three. I'm past rowing three. This is just a beer league. You know what I mean? Like we drink a thirty rack amongst each other at the end of the game. I hate losing. We were losing by 11 runs in the fifth inning. Go in the dugout. There's five dudes sitting on the bench. One's rubbing the elbow. One's rubbing his ass. Like, get up. Show that you're involved in the game. You know what I mean? Like, get a little fire. Get a little energy. Like, so, yeah, if there's a no-hitter going, I'm, I'm going to drop a bunt. And you want to call it Weasley? You want to call it pathetic? You want to go and write all – you want to go and, and – tweet and, and and facebook and snapchat and all whatever it is and, and say that that's bush league no it's not bush league it's well the thing is it. i don't i feel like it is bush league but i just weird no. that now i'm okay with it being bush league <laughs> no, when i was like I, when i was younger there's no way i would have been okay with that if i'm an opposing manager i'm gonna be pissed 100 percent. but i'm gonna look at it and i'm gonna respect that player for not wanting that to happen to his team i'm gonna respect that because it's going to show that in some way, you know what? Maybe that's something that sparked your team a little bit. Like, you got to do something at some point if your team is struggling to get them going. Like, you got to do something. You got to get them fired up. You got to have that unlikely guy to just do something. I'm not advocating dropping a bunt down for every no hitter, but you got to try to do something. I mean, you just mentioned it. The Mariners and the Indians have both been no hit twice this season. Like, that's just wild to me. Wild. But. And it is what it is. I just – I have the mindset of if I, I'm going to be a competitor, I may not be as talented as you, but I'm going to have the heart and I'm going to try to out-hustle and I'm going to try to to do whatever I can to get my team going. And I just – I think you're right, Matt. It, but it's not just baseball that, that doesn't have that. Watch NBA warm-ups and watch all the players with their AirPods in their ears and their, and their Bose noise-canceling on their, you know, on their head. There, it's individuality, and that's what we're going towards. I don't know. Listen to some it. music pregame is pretty good. It's a way to get fired up. I'm not gonna hate on him for wearing headphones. Well, maybe I just want to pick on Marcus Smart because he does it all the time. No, I'm kidding. Um, but, but no, like I, I don't know. I, I just, I guess I just to to tie it all together. Like I love the no hitters. I'm excited that they're happening. I don't want it to get to a point where it's not special anymore. It's getting close. So when Wade is. Miley throws a no hitter, you're getting close to that. But you know what though? If Wade Miley does it and two other guys throw a no no, that's that's special. That's cool. 
Like that's that's a feel good. Like I can get behind that. I don't want the 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 no hitter to be just a common tweet that we're gonna put on the Red Sox Pod's Twitter handle and we're gonna retweet it with the main account and everybody and their mother is gonna do that. Like I want it to be important. But was but it ever we, really important? Did anyone care that Josh Burnett know. threw a nine walk no hitter? There've been some pretty sh- sorry. There's been some pretty bad no hitters. Love it. There's been some pretty bad no hitters in my in our lifetimes, no, but it is, been. yeah. So it's like I and I will play devil's advocate in this that the no hitters themselves have been good, strong outings. You haven't seen the Johan Santana 140 something pitches to get through it. You're seeing you know 110, some good control. You're seeing a lot of the, you know you're seeing good outings, but it is crazy that these what would have been you know seven seven and two third. You know, few hits, few Ks, good outings, and now turning into dominant no-hitters. Well, if you look at the no-hitters, though, this season, right? The Corey Kluber one, like, yeah, he's on the Yankees. I'm going to say it from, like, a casual fan perspective and, like, a fan perspective. That's a feel-good story. This is a dude that has been injured the last couple of seasons, and he's starting to put it back together. He looks healthy. He's pitching like he's healthy. He's, you know— He's looking like, you know, he's slowly getting back to the Kluber that we know. He throws the no-hitter. That's special. That's cool. Ren, uh, Rondo, uh, the dude of the White Sox, Carlos Rodone, like, he was he was let go. He was non-tender in the offseason. Comes back, signs a one-year deal. This is a kid that has been – has had all the potential in the world. He's been hurt. Puts it – you know, trying to put it together. He throws a no-hitter. That's special. There's something behind that. Even Joe Musgrove. You know what I mean? Like he goes home to San Diego. That's his where he grew up. He, you know, he's now with the Padres and throws that no-no. Like there's some substance behind that. There's a story you can build off of that. That's something that as a fan I can get excited about. You know what I mean? And that's what like I feel like I don't want to lose that. You know what I mean? I don't want to lose that. Bill, let me ask you. You know, you've been you've been a baseball fan for a long Since time before you guys were born. How does this? Exactly right. So how is this like seeing this happening, this trend this year? How does that compare to you know just when you were a kid when a no hitter was thrown? I mean, Nolan Ryan was one of the most dominant pitchers of all time. He has seven no hitters. If X, Y, and Z guy can just throw it, are those going to be diminished? Like, what are your thoughts in terms of the history of the game? No, I agree. A no hitter used to be something really special, some something really noteworthy. Now, when you get the notification on your phone, so and so has a no hitter through seven. Does it does it have the same juice that it used to? Like, do you think, oh, I got to switch over to MLB way. Network to, to see the end of the game, see if he throws a no hitter? Do you still? I don't even think they'd even switch to it on ESPN if they were playing the Lakers right. and, and Dallas right. Mavericks. I mean, I switched over for Musgrove and I switched over for Indone, but I switched over for the dude from the White Sox only because, because you like, hate Tony Larusa. First off, it was like eleven o'clock. <laughs> Well, I do not. Well, no, it was like 11 o'clock at night. There was nothing on TV. I saw it on Twitter. I'm like, yeah, I'm going to go watch it. And then you start to, like, hear the announcers talk about it. And then you, like, you go back, yeah, like, this dude's had injury history. He's he's come back. He's trying to defy the odds. He's trying to get healthy. He's trying to establish himself. Like, I can get behind that. Like, I like I I can't, you know, I can't relate to that. You know what I mean? I don't have an arm that can throw like he does and, and stuff like that. But, like, as a fan of the game, I can be like, I want to see this dude succeed. I want to see this happen. I like I don't want there to be a point where the league and there's like 15 no hitters a season, and it just doesn't have that cachet anymore. Like I think like and yeah, and I think we're getting there. I don't know how to really react to that right now. I think I think we're getting there that it doesn't have the cachet, 
and maybe this is just an aberration this year because you know so many have happened. Could be. That you know that statistically that's always possible, but you just look at the approach that the hitters are taking, and you can see why the no hitters are starting to tick up because there's very little action that goes on in in most games. You know, guys are up there swinging from their from their heels, trying to hit the home runs. And you know, if strikeouts are up across the league, you know, it's just it, it the trend the way baseball is going right now that statistically you probably will have more no hitters going forward with it with the with the pitchers throwing as hard as they do and and the hitters going for that approach. So that right there will diminish it if this trend keeps going that you have a no hitter every couple of days. Do we have one today? Have we gotten any notification on it? I don't think anything is happening just yet, but there are some games that are just kind of in the early stages. So, yeah, the, I mean, the Padres are getting shut out, but they get three hits. Um, yeah. Through that, that, four. that was a rhetorical question, but if you want to give an update, go ahead. Well, whoa, 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 hang on a second. Right now, through four, the Cardinals are being no hit by Tony Larusa's White Sox. Tony Larusa himself has taken the mound. Is no he hitting. He's taken the Cardinals. mound. Lance Lynn right now is uh, tossing a gem. How about Lance Lynn, though? Four innings this year. I mean, he's going four innings right now, but he's got a 1.14 ERA. His whip is under one. What a pickup by the White Sox. What a career he's had. All right, you know what? The, this episode said everything, but you know we really haven't gone off the rails, so why don't I go ahead and knock this off the rails and ask Bill this question. Bill, you watched all – well, not literally watched, but you were witness to the seven no-hitters of Nolan Ryan, right? Yes. I, well, yes. I was alive when they happened, yes. So, do, do, do you recall a point where it was like, oh, who cares, another one, to then when it switched back over to being like, oh, my God, he's going for number six and seven. Well, was there a point where it was like, Nolan Ryan, he just threw his third no-hitter, yippee. Oh, he threw his fourth, who cares. Oh, he threw a fifth, he threw a sixth. Was there anything like no, that? No, because when he got his last few, he was in his 40s. His last few yeah, came they came late in his career, maybe late 30s, early 40s. So, I mean, right. which, you know, now maybe isn't that much, but back then that was truly an anomaly for somebody to be throwing that hard that late into his career. And then, you know, once he broke Sandy Koufax's record, Sandy Koufax had the record before that with four. You know, once he broke that, then it was just icing on the cake after that. So, yeah, no, those those never got tired. Oh, cool. And when he, I mean, when he's doing it late, he must have not have been, he wasn't dominant every time out. It must have been like when the stars align and he just has it for nine. I can only imagine. He he wasn't super dominant all the time. No, he's not. Uh, you hear Jerry Remy talk about him and, you know, it's like he's he was otherworldly, you know. But uh, when when he was on, though, forget it. You you weren't getting hit off of him. Yeah. But, yeah, no, he, cool. he, you know. He would struggle with his control at times when when the guys, you know, back then, throwing 100 then, you know, that was 10 miles an hour faster than anybody else was throwing, and it was probably 15 miles an hour above the league average. Right. Yeah, it was a true outlier. Right. Yeah, I don't know. I never really watched Nolan Ryan, but for some reason he reminds me of, like, a right-handed, like, Randy Johnson. Like, when Randy took the mound, it just felt like it didn't matter how old he was. If he was feeling it, you weren't hitting it. Yeah, totally different style, but yeah, similar similar right. makeup. Right. Yeah, style-wise probably a lot like Clemens. You know, if okay. you were, if you remember Clemens the way he threw, you know, Ryan was pretty much the same, yeah. you know, oh, yeah. just the power legs over the top, you know, just come right at you. 
And he had a nasty curveball, too. I don't know what, no hitter talk. I was, I was just, right, the, the nasty curveball. I mean, that's what the to, – to really be dominant, it's throwing hard and having that nasty secondary pitch to play off of. I don't know why no hitters all of a sudden just got me, like, super interested in just talking about Nolan Ryan, but – I don't know. Maybe this. Maybe we should do a historical deep dive every now and again on on the Red Sox podcast to be named later. We should have done that during our COVID shows when we were talking about our favorite baseball <laughs> movies. In a lot of things in my life, the good ideas come way too late. Well, there is the off season, so let's let's put that one in the book. We'll save that one for later. So, guys, <laughs> any other final thoughts before we wrap up? Nothing. No, I got the, the LaRusso stuff off my chest, so I'm good there. <laughs> glad we were able to do some therapy there. there. I'm glad we could do that. Yeah. Sit down, Chris. Have a seat. Let us know. We'll, we'll How does it make you feel? We'll get ready. The next uh, the next thing I'm going to be coming out with is the uh, the unwritten tweets to be uh, – the unwritten tweets of baseball <laughs> will be coming out next. That's going to be my new thing. Unwritten <laughs> tweets to be named later. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> Branding. One thing getting it. back to that, though, with the unwritten rules, with guys, you know, players breaking the unwritten rules, what I'm interested to see is how the other teams retaliate to that. Will there be retaliation? Will they come, you know, will they throw in on a guy who swings 3 0 when there's a position player on the mound? You know, will he get drilled? It happened with the Twins. The Twins went after they Mercedes, him, right. and LaRusa said he deserved it. They did. I don't want to get that whole conversation going right. again, but. You know, are we going to start seeing more and, retaliation and you know on, you know, on those type of plays? You know what? I wish I would have commented on that. I forgot all about that. And then he goes out. And he oh, all that the therapy's for nothing now. For we fired that. him back up again. <laughs> We've unraveled. He's come unraveled. Like, like think about this. Think of if, if, if Alex Cora threw his player under the bus, and I know the Boston media is as cynical as, that, as they come, he would be raked across the coals. Felgrim as, as as negative as they are, they would spin that in a way to make him look like the biggest villain in the world. Now imagine if Alex Cora goes and then defends the opposing team for hitting his own player in retaliation to the unwritten rules. Oh my, oh my God. The content that'd be flowing. The fact that he did that, to me, I'm out. If I'm a White Sox player and my manager is doing that, I don't want to have to have you mark down the time to go ahead and, and do it, but I wanted to drop an F-bomb right there. Like, seriously, I'm out on that dude. Like, I the one thing I'm going to say, though, is I just – I don't get why everyone acts like throwing at each other is like this unghastly form of bar- barbarianism. Barbar- barbarism? I, think, I, think I don't get that. Like, Bill, you – like you. Like we have you, how many injuries can you recall happening from getting hit by pitch other than wrist and hand? I don't think it's throwing at somebody; throw the it's the way you throw at them. You don't. Uh, and here's another unwritten rule: don't throw at somebody's head. You want to drill right, somebody, right, drill them in the backside. Right. But even if you drill someone in, the, if you even if you drill them in like the in like the leg or the butt or whatever, you still see a lot of people out there be like, "How dare you throw a hundred miles an hour at him?" It's like I don't know. If we, are we gonna act like all these guys are just made of glass? Like that he's fine. I don't ever even Stan. You know, he got hit in the face, and that, those the, they they suck, but they they're not like dime a dozen. It just I don't know why all of a sudden like the vibe becomes that this is some sort of horrible tradition where players are just being carted off the field left and right because they're getting thrown at. So it's like, you want to hit a home run 3-0? Cool. You might have to take one in the butt the next day. 
That didn't sound good. And, and you know what though? <laughs> but as they as they should though, and you know, like that's if we're gonna keep an unwritten rule or whatever it might be, like that's expected. That's how you police the game. That's how that's how you keep things in check. You know, in hockey, if something happens, you drop the gloves, you drop the stick, you go at it for thirty seconds. Jack Edwards has a connection phase, gets all excited, and you move on. That's what ended up happening, and then the Twins pitcher got suspended for that. Stupid. But I, I just I have a feeling that at some point before the year is up, we're going to have another conversation about Tony LaRusso. That's just my bold Sox take before the end of the season. Yeah, hopefully that he's going to come on the show and talk to us. Look, Tony wants to talk about under rules. I will still talk with the same passion and the same energy because I just vehemently disagree with him. I just, I truly do. I respect him and everything that he's done. He's a Hall of Fame manager. He has been part of some of the greatest moments in baseball. Hell, he was in the dugout to watch Mark McGuire break the home run record. He's like, he's, he's, wasn't he the manager of the A's when the earthquake? Happened in um, in California. Yes, he was. When they played the, the and Giants. when Kirk so, Gibson like, hit his walk off against a, Eckersley. So he's been part of so many iconic moments in baseball. So yes, maybe it is a little disingenuous in my part to go and say fire Tony Larusa. Maybe that's a little too harsh, a little too strong. I'll I'll, I'll own up to that. But having said that, I just. I have a tough time getting behind someone who's going to go publicly and call out your players, not once, but two days in a row. That's a problem. If I'm White Sox ownership, I don't care. I'm like, Tony, tone it down. Like, you have 26 guys on that roster. You have a team that once it gets healthy and if they're in, if they're in the mix, they could – Hell, this was a World Series potential contending team before these injuries happened, before Aloy Jimenez got hurt. Like, this was a World Series potential team. That's what people were talking about, the way they were built on paper. This team gets healthy, they could, they, they could, they could make a run. But would it surprise you if they don't because their manager is managing like it's back in the 80s? I wouldn't. Well, that's one we're certainly going to have to keep our eye out for the rest of the season. And I look forward to that conversation when it does happen. All right, guys, any other non-Tony LaRusa closing thoughts? Yeah, I yeah have I said anything about Tony LaRusa? <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. I got Go one. ahead. Um, we really didn't talk about Garrett Richards, and he's the resurgence of Garrett Richards. Go ahead. Talk about him. I mean, he had, what, two miserable starts? And then there's what last five he's been, I'm not going to say lights out, but he's been damn near like serviceable. Better than serviceable. Like, I think he's been the best pitcher on the staff. Best starter. He's been good. Like I take back the fact that I said throw him in the laundry cart too and push him out in the middle of traffic. Like he's been really good. I'm not sure what Dave Bush did. I don't know what Alex Cora did, but whatever that they did, bought him a jacket, like whatever happened, like, I, 
he's now given a sample size that maybe maybe he was worth the $10 million that Heimblum paid and maybe just maybe he they have something in in Garrett Richards because he's he's gone seven innings he's he's racking up a ton of strikeouts his last start he had four walks and he's a little erratic but he pitched good enough to win and he's also now pitching against decent teams pitching against Oakland pitching against Toronto like guys Garrett Richards he looks really good no agreed he's I, I think he's been the best starter consistent you know since that time since that those first couple of starts he's definitely been the best starter um i mean throw in pavetta and even throw in perez what those guys have done i mean they've done as the three four five starters they have exceeded expectations in my opinion they've done exactly what you've needed them to do they've gotten through five and just about every start this year again for richard since his first couple um i don't think you can ask for much more and you know on top of what pavetta has done um. Yeah, no, they've been outstanding. I think we would have had a lot different conversation tonight in terms of our expectations of this team if it wasn't for the three, four, five pitching as well as they have. Martin Perez has been. I mean, he's got like a two point two something ERA in his last handful of games. He pitched really well in his last start. It, it just this the starting pitching has been such a like pleasant surprise and. You know, we we got this. Like, it was just awful last year. Like, there was nothing positive about any of the pitching from the starters from that standpoint last year. But and to even be like, well, anything to do now, like, you know, like that's you can only go up. No, like they've all pitched really, really well. I, you know, and just think, you, you know, temper expectations that you're going to get sale back, and depending on what they do with him and. Who knows? Maybe Bloom goes and gets another starter, like to add more depth. Doesn't have to be a big piece, big name, but who knows? I mean, Matt, you had your your bold take early in the year and, and said the Scherzer from Washington could he be in play? Maybe, you know, like I don't know. I I've just this 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 pitching staff has just been such a positive note for this team, and that like it gives me a lot of hope. It gives me a lot of hope that. You know, they're going to be able to sustain this. And even when guys like Erod is struggling over five starts and has a 6-5 ERA, guys like Garrett Richards are turning around and are carrying it. And Martin Perez and, and again, Nick Pavetta. Nick Pavetta has been outstanding, absolutely outstanding. Like, they're getting more out of him than I think anybody would have thought. I would even I bloom. If you were to, like, have that honest conversation, you could honestly answer the question, would say that Pavetta has exceeded the expectations as well. And you know what else it does? It keeps you from extended losing streaks. When you've got your when you've got your, your lower end Good of the point. rotation guys, because if you can get by Erod Navaldi, and then you have the direct that you had last year, that's when you're looking at a five game losing streak. I agree. I agree. All right, now that we're all in agreement, maybe it's a good time to wrap things up. What do you think? I think we're Shh, good. don't say. Don't don't say Pony Charusa before we sign off. I promise I won't say that name again. Maybe ever. <laughs> that the who shall not be named. Manager to not be named later. All right, everyone. Check out Never our website at www.bostonsportsyndicate.com with articles from Matt and Chris. I have a feeling he might have a LaRusse article coming out soon. 
I should. <laughs> You'll find links to all our podcasts and to our merch page. Hashtag buy merch. We have hats, t-shirts, sweatshirts. We got all kinds of stuff on there. Please go check it out. Also check out our Facebook page and check us out on Twitter and Instagram at Boston Sports Sin. That's S-Y-N. And all our podcasts here on the network have their own Twitter page as well. If you're looking for the Red Sox podcast to be named later, and it's a great follow, check it out at Red Sox pod underscore BSS. And we've got a ton of other stuff going on at the syndicate right now. Um, really an exciting time. If you want to get in touch with us um, and talk to the writers or the podcast hosts, you can join us on Discord. That's a platform. It's similar to Twitter, but it's specific just to the syndicate. And we've had quite a few people on that lately and uh, been a lot of Bruins talk too uh, with the Bruins in the playoffs so uh, check out our website you'll find a link to join us on discord or speaking of the Bruins uh, we also have been going with live twitch broadcasts and if you're old like me you probably don't know what twitch is uh, but it's it's basically a, a video service where you can go on you can uh, we're doing some live pot live podcasts on there we haven't done a Red Sox one yet but the Bruins guys have been doing live podcasts on there they've They've also been talking uh, during some of the Bruins playoffs games. Just the live, they're following the game, and they're talking about the game as it goes on. Um, and we've been getting a lot of interaction with that, too. People can join in and give their opinions in the chat room. And if that weren't enough, we also have our new partnership with Symbol. Um, Symbol is a stock market where you can buy and sell stocks in your favorite baseball, basketball, or football teams. And you can join up, and if you use the promo code BSS, you'll get a $10 bonus deposit into your account on your first transaction. But wait, there's more. Speaking of bonus uh, bonus codes, you can also, if you go on SeatGeek, now that stadiums and concert events, they're all opening up full blast again. So if you are going to be going to one of these events, buy your tickets through SeatGeek, use the promo code BSS, Get 20% off your first purchase. And last but certainly not least, we at Boston Sports Syndicate have just entered into a partnership with Manscaped. If you are looking to for quality men's grooming products, and guys, I don't know, have you have you uh, used your new Manscaped products that you've received yet? Oh, yeah, with tremendous It is results. a quality product, I must say. Tremendous. It is. Uh, they have a new lawnmower 4.0, which they just came out with, and that's that's their newest equipment. So if you want to do any grooming around your manly areas, I highly recommend it. It's a fine quality product, and it does a very nice job. In fact, I like the lawnmower 4.0 so much, I went out and I got the. Uh, oh gosh, the name's escaping me right now. What a terrible commercial this is turning out to be. Uh, anyway, it's the nose nose and ear trimmer. So if you're an old guy like me, hair grows everywhere but on your head. So you want to you wanna pick up that, too. But, again, use the promo code BSS, and you get 20% off your purchase and free delivery. So please check that out. And, guys, your balls yeah, They certainly you. will. All right, Matt, Chris, as always, thank you for joining me. And to everyone listening, thank you for joining us. We'll catch you later. Later. Boston Sports Syndicate. Music for the Boston Sports Syndicate provided by IMCDM and Jay Kelly.